Welcome back to It's Haunted, What Now? I'm your host, Lainey. I hope everyone celebrated the new year in the best way that they could, and that we're all collectively looking towards a brighter year ahead. 2021 has the potential to be great, and after the year we just had, I think we all deserve it. Personally, there are a few things I'm looking forward to, like filling this year with all of your wonderful spooky stories, bringing them to life for you, and keeping things just creepy enough to keep things interesting. Oh, and another reason why season three took so long to come out is because I'm actually pregnant. As of this recording, I am six months pregnant and I am expecting a little girl in May. So thankfully I've added two writers to the team and they are Sherilyn and Megan and they are amazing. They've captured the essence of the show and we have so many stories ready for you guys. So you won't notice a delay in the posting of episodes and I'm so excited for that. Okay. Ready to get spooked? Our first story comes from Chaos Pixie 2020, who tells us how their exploration of some abandoned buildings led to a brush with the paranormal. Here in my hometown, not too far from where I live, there is a park called Sawyer Park. It looks pretty normal at first, a playground, disc golf, a stream, and a wooded area surrounding it. All pretty normal and all very standard park things. The weird part is that there are a few small abandoned buildings in this park. They aren't used for anything, not meeting places, community centers, party venues, nothing just empty buildings. But everyone who lives here, we know what those buildings used to be. Brace yourselves. This is where it gets extremely creepy. Sawyer Park used to be a sanatorium. Yes, you heard that right. It was a hospital and a pretty shady one at that. It once housed tuberculosis patients and then later mental health patients. Apparently, these patients weren't treated all that well during their time there. The fact that a pretty seemingly unassuming park has such a creepy backstory really intrigued me. So, of course, I thought the best idea was to gather some friends and go out there at night to see if anything weird happened. Spoiler alert, it did. So I consider myself to be a bit of an amateur paranormal investigator. I thought this would be no big deal as I've been to plenty of paranormal and strange locations in the past. The first thing I realized about Sawyer Park, though, is that its vibe was completely off. During the day, it was just mildly unsettling, but at night, the energy seemed sinister. I rarely get scared, but this place really creeped me out. I was determined not to wimp out, though, especially since I was the one to suggest that we check it out at night in the first place. After about 10 minutes of pretty uneventful exploring, other than some rustling in the bushes that could be chalked up to wind or wild animals, we decided to split into groups of two or three. I grouped with my boyfriend and my best friend, and feeling brave, we headed straight for the building closest to the woods. Once there, I started to feel uneasy. 
I began to get really nauseous, which I at first shook off as nerves. As we looked around, I started to hear coughing. Not too noticeable at first, but occasionally it became louder and more frequent. The thing was, no one in my group had a cough, and they heard the same coughing that I did. Thinking that it had to be one of our friends pranking us, we had a look around. No one was there. The coughing stopped for a bit, but as we continued our exploration, the coughing came back. This time, it was louder, a nasty, hacking cough. We decided to explore the inside of the building through a broken window that we could fit through. And after a little bit of silent exploration, I heard the coughing again, coming from behind a door. I motioned for my friends to be quiet and opened the door. The coughing had definitely been coming from that room, but there was no one there. In the corner, I noticed there was a chair. Suddenly, the chair started moving, slowly. We ran out of there as fast as we could and went straight for the car. Luckily for us, our other friends also got scared by something in the other buildings and were waiting for us out by the car in time for all of us to speed away. I still haven't gone back to Sawyer Park then, not even during the day. I had never heard or seen such clear evidence before. As far as I'm concerned, it is definitely haunted by some of its old patients. What is it about abandoned buildings and old sanitariums that fascinate us? No matter how many creepy stories come back from explorations like these, there's something that inevitably pulls us to want to explore them yet again and maybe have an encounter of our own to come back with. Now our next story is from Batty Burner, bringing us a harrowing tale of a narrow escape in a cemetery late one night. A few months back, maybe closer to a year, a friend of mine suggested we do something interesting with our night for once. He told me about how he had been to one of the city cemeteries after dark a few times and that it terrified him, but in that sort of way that makes it worthwhile. I was a little against it at first because the cops like to check that area often and there's no way we were going to be walking into the graveyard sober. However, my mind changed when we got to talking. You know about the witch? He started cracking a smile as he ground another bowl's worth. A note about us, we were perpetually stoned out of our minds. I think so, I replied, though I had heard very little. Remind me. So there's supposed to be this witch or ghost or something, and I know right where the grave is. He took a long pull, thinking hard. I honestly don't believe in anything, but a dark graveyard is scary anyway. We definitely need to check it out sometime if we don't get to it tonight. And I just remembered, there are these dead kids too. What? I asked him incredulous. 
there's a bunch of graves together for this one family, he continued. And a bunch of them are these kids. That spot's creepy too. They're all old from the 1800s or something. He held the bowl toward me. Well, I paused for a hit. We gotta see all of it. We pulled into the lot when the sun was still setting and decided to smoke a bit in the car, since we had the time anyway. As we smoked, the whole place emptied out and we were the only ones in sight. By this point, we were at a comfortable level of dissociative perfection, so we brought just a little bit of it with us. We brought along my pack of cigarettes too. It's no longer a habit of mine, but at the time, it was a means of managing stress. So off we went. With a bit of sun still shining, with only a single truck left riding through the cemetery, we figured it would be good to wait for the truck to leave, assuming it was a worker watching for any unwanted guests. Although they had left the gates wide open, we were a little unsure of the legality of being around after dark, and a little uneasy about some do-gooder employee ratting and getting us caught with what we had. After about 10 minutes and three or four rounds of the truck passing by, we figured it would be smart to go ahead and just hide wherever we were if he passed us again. We made our way down the main hill that leads into the center part of the cemetery, and we noticed a chill that seemed to pass as we entered into the real part. I passed it off as a weird current made by the creeks and cooler air in that area, but a part of the primal fear in the back of my mind made me question my devotion to realism. There were a few times where we had to hide behind a tree as the truck made its way back around and then we would make a few more minutes of progress. As we began to become too close to sober, we imbibed a bit more. Another 30 minutes or so passed and by that time, we had decimated almost our entire on-hand supply. We also had no clue where we were. As we wandered along the dark winding roads, we started to get concerned about our phone batteries. His phone was worse off than mine being near dead already, although mine was hardly doing any better. After deciding to keep them in our pockets for the time being, the dark and discomforting silence started to close in and made both of us paranoid. It was, of course, a bit heightened by habits. We also noted something else a bit upsetting. We had started going around in circles. As we realized this, I had the first real wave of fear of the night come rushing over me. I could swear someone was inside one of the mausoleums, their face just barely out of view and moving in the shadows. Dude, do you see that? Instinctively, I grabbed for my inhaler. What? What the hell are you talking about? He replied. Right there. I looked towards the window rather than pointing. I swear to Christ, I just saw someone in there. I saw the shadow of a face. You're just freaked out because you smoke too much, he reassured me. It's nothing, come on. We need to get to the witch and then we can get out of here. About three cigarettes and an hour of searching later, we heard something unnerving. At first, we assumed it was a bunch of drunk teenagers based on the volume and range of noises being made. Walking further, we found a sign for construction and being high, we thought it made perfect sense that a group of construction workers must be around. You know, for some good nighttime silent construction work. 
Then the voices began to get a bit too quiet for our comfort. We booked it out of there, barreling in no real direction, and somehow, we ended up at the place he'd told me about before. I put another cigarette to my lips with a slight tremble in my hand and followed him through the pitch black to a large stone structure in a patch of dirt. It was the family he had mentioned, and it made my stomach turn. The cold, rushing wave of fear came back, but it was too late to change my mind. We walked onto the large stone slab, which was for a collection of graves of those who died at an early age. As we walked around it, he pulled his phone back out to read the headstones. I was nervous with his light being on at this point, after being near those people we had seen. We looked at the graves and my stomach turned again, though I was unsure why. I disliked the idea of dead children, but my demeanor would never call for me to feel as sick as I did that moment. Meanwhile, he flipped his phone light back on to read off the names and dates on the graves. I started to really become anxious at this point, even voicing it. I don't know if you should have that light on, dude. I scanned the woods, unable to see anything. What about those weirdos we saw earlier? They could be some creeps or something, maybe following us, or they could even be around here by chance. At that moment, we heard a blood-curdling scream coming from the woods, as close as 50 feet away. It was an unusual scream, almost aggressive. It didn't sound as if someone was hurt, but more like a threat. I was sure at the time that it was a woman, but the hopeful side of me likes to imagine we just heard some animal screaming in the night. As we paced back down the path towards the stone base, I pulled a few cigarettes from my pocket and began to light them like crazy. This was pushed further by my friends stopping to read more stones since we saw no one following us. Within 10 minutes, he had his fill and we continued back to the main area. After even more walking, we passed a group of cars parked in a grassy patch clear of graves. We assumed they must have belonged to the group of people from earlier and didn't think too much of it. But we did begin to wonder why more than one or two people would be there for so long. Around that point was when we got lost for real. Deep in the back of the property, we found the witch's spot, but it had nothing of interest, so we decided to head back. By now, my friend's phone had died, so we used mine to get a map up. It told us we had half an hour of walking ahead of us to get back to the car. Halfway back, we started to hear voices again, loud and brash. However, as we got closer, they got less energetic. I peered ahead and froze, grabbing my friend and shushing him. I could see three large shadows right down the path from us. Unfortunately, I forgot that my phone screen was on, and I heard something that I'll never forget. Wait. A deep voice murmured. Do you all see that? See what? A second man joined in. That, right there. The silhouette of his arm pointed directly to us. That light. I slapped my phone screen against my torso, panicking in an attempt to turn it off. Both of us held our breath, staying as still as statues while the group kept discussing the light they'd seen. We started to shimmy towards the path of graves to our side, hoping they would forget about us and leave. But it was then that we saw what kind of people they really were. 
and nearly gave me a heart attack. The first man hushed both of the others for a breath of silence when both men started darting towards us. We were out of sight by then and hid behind a tree, low to the ground by the hill we had run across. We heard them making their way around the area and we somehow circled behind them making our escape. Then we heard cars starting. For about 20 minutes, these unknown voices circled through the paths trying to find us, costing us another half hour of time before we could make it safely back to our car. Exhausted, we made our way to the entrance with an empty cigarette box, an empty bag, and a little bit of paranoia. We got back to my friend's place and spent at least an hour talking about how ridiculous all of it was. And then we had a thought. A ridiculous, unnerving thought. What if we saw nothing at the witch's spot? Because she had been in the woods by the family and the dead children. And then an even worse thought popped up. What if the scream wasn't aggressive like I'd thought? What if those people had done something horrible to someone right near us? Whatever really happened, I know one thing. I'm never going back there again without a full group of friends and fully charged phones. I think the most chilling thing about this story is all of the unknowns. The faceless voices, the witch's grave, the dead children. Could it all have tied together into one terrifying experience that Batty Burner barely escaped from? Or was it simply bad luck of the draw that led them out that night? Either way, I'm in agreement. I wouldn't go back out there without full support either. Our third story comes from Dense Place 4606 sharing unsettling memories that their family have shared with them about a house they lived in during their childhood. In between the ages of two and five, I lived in a small village on the border of England and Wales. I don't really remember much, though my parents and childhood babysitters remember a lot more than I do. The house we lived in at the time was built on a piece of land that anyone would feel a little creeped out by. The land had been remodeled over four times and many different places had been built over each other, most notably a morgue and a churchyard. This may be interesting as a side note, as churches in this area were mainly built by Normans and Saxons who built them over previous areas of Celtic importance based on their beliefs. Over the years, our house and many other houses nearby were built over this area. The first thing that was creepy with the house was that it supposedly would get angry, according to my family. If you slammed the doors or damaged the house in any way, it would start to lock things that would not be locked or even have locks. Drawers would suddenly not open and doors would lock from the inside. The moments that particularly frightened my parents were books randomly falling off shelves and screws coming extremely loose overnight. At this time, my family wasn't the most well-off, and while my parents were away at work, 
they would have local teenagers and family friends look after my baby sister and I. During one of these times, my parents had gone out for the evening and left two family friends to look after us. My sister and I slept in separate rooms most of the time, and on this particular night, she slept downstairs. The babysitters were watching a movie while my sister went to sleep, and when the movie finished, they could hear talking coming from upstairs. They went up to investigate and could clearly hear me talking to someone in my bedroom, as well as hearing me running around and laughing. I should say here that I've been known to sleep talk, but I have no history of sleepwalking. When the babysitters entered the room, I'm told I stopped and looked at them. They picked me up and brought me downstairs for the night. They told me later that on our way out the room, I waved and said goodbye to someone or something. This really creeped me out. Another event that was told to me multiple times by my mother as I was growing up. When I was a toddler, I didn't walk well and would usually need my mom to hold my hand and steady me whenever I got up. Apparently, there was a time where my parents were in the front room of the house playing with my little sister while I was in the kitchen playing with toys. They heard me say, hands? a common way for me to ask for help to get up and walk. I then apparently walked into the front room with my hand clasped around something as though I were holding their hand. My parents picked me up quickly and whisked me away. This story still makes me shiver a little whenever I think about it. I also apparently had friends in the house and would regularly talk to my parents about them a lot while in my room or at preschool to my teachers. This became quite frightening at some points due to my previous encounters in the house, and so my parents began to plan to move houses. Once they said that they hated the place, over the next week they could hear incoherent voices at night, speaking in their ears while they were asleep, loud enough to wake them up, and then it would stop. After a few weeks of this happening, we ended up leaving that house and moving in with friends for a few months until my parents were able to sell the house and move us into a better place. I still don't remember very much about the house. I remember the layout and all the good memories and the people, but nothing about the house's features, which I always found to be weird. I've never been diagnosed with any illness that would explain my seeing things. I don't see them anymore and I have no memory of seeing them as a child. To this day, it makes me shudder whenever I think about it. For people who may not believe this, all of these stories come from my parents, grandparents, family friends, and babysitters. Even from what I know now, I'm still a little skeptical, since, as I say, I have no memories of these things happening. But seeing as it all comes from multiple sources, it makes me semi-sure that they aren't just kidding with me. By the way, those houses have been knocked down now asbestos in the structures. I'm glad that your family shared these stories with you, Den's Place, because it means that now they're stories we can consider as well. I feel like I can already hear the naysayers of the world chalking up any paranormal experiences to the asbestos you mentioned, but it feels like a lot to explain away. These stories were witnessed by too many people with too many overlapping details to dismiss so easily. Our final story is from Point Defiant, 
who tells about the former occupant of her apartment and how he may have stayed just a little longer than what was on his contract. So to preface this, the apartments I live in were built in the 70s, and I have met a woman who has lived in these apartments on and off since the 80s. Why mention her? Because she has something to do with this story as well. I have lived in this complex for five years now, first in a one-bedroom and then for the last four years in a two-bedroom. I never experienced anything weird or creepy in the one-bedroom unit. None of this started happening until I moved into this unit. The first experiences happened to my daughter, who was around five months old at the time. She would often stare at spots in the room, randomly. We would be playing with her or talking to her and she would stop abruptly and just stare. These stares developed into her smiling at whatever or whoever she was looking at and waving her hands. When she learned to talk, she began to say the name George and as her verbal skills developed, she even began talking to George. Not long after she began talking to George, I gave birth to my son. As he grew older, he too began talking to George. We don't know anyone by that name. I am a stay-at-home mom and my husband works nights, so I often wait until the kids are sleeping and my husband goes to work before I shower and have a snack. Everything was normal on this particular day, but my son hadn't been feeling well and had thrown up on me, so I found the need to shower that night particularly important. I had just lathered my hair with shampoo when I heard someone pounding on the bathroom door and a male voice that didn't sound like my husband frantically telling me to check on your boy. Immediately, I was hit with a terrifying urge to see both of my kids and make sure they were okay. I have never run to my kids' room so fast I didn't even bother to turn the shower off. I got into the room and heard that my infant son was choking. He had spit up in his sleep and started to choke on it. Because I'd come into the room so quickly, I was able to get the spit up out of his throat and he was fine, thank goodness. Now, this is where my neighbor comes in, the woman that I had mentioned before. It came up in casual conversation one day that she used to live next door to the apartment I do. As we began talking about different things in the apartment, like the carpet, the cabinets, the wall color, etc., she suddenly asked me, have you met George yet? When I asked who she was talking about, she told me that when the apartments were first built, you could buy them instead of just renting. A man named George bought the apartment that was once hers and was now mine. He was an older gentleman, retired and had no family, but everyone in the apartment complex loved him. He was always kind to the neighborhood kids and helped out if people asked. When she had first moved in, she had lived next door to George and said he was her favorite neighbor right up until the early 90s when he passed away. I told her about my kids speaking to George and the story about my son. She smiled and told me, yeah, that sounds like him. To this day, I'll occasionally experience small things, a whiff of cologne, appliances turning off or on, seeing things moving just out of the corner of my eye. My kids still occasionally mention George in passing, but never anything like whatever happened that night.
I suppose if you're going to have a ghost in your apartment, you can only hope that you're going to get one like George, a kind neighbor who only wants to look after the children and maybe enjoy some nice conversation now and again. Well, that does it for this episode. If you'd like to submit your own spooky tales to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore haunted, Instagram at it's haunted what now, or at hauntedpod.com. Production assistance provided by Aaliyah Lopez. Writing assistance by Megan Williams. Audio engineering provided by the best in the business, Nico or Neeks at We Talk of Dreams. Check them out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. And if you want to see what happens behind the scenes of Nico editing podcasts and just doing amazing, extraordinary things on his Twitch channel, head to Twitch.com and search for We Talk of Dreams. Until next time. Did you hear that?